Hi. How are you? How's it going? Hey. Welcome to the Bloody Stream Podcast. I'm Brian. And that dead air right there was where Jorge would say their name, but they're not here. I'm flying solo today. Um, It is that most wonderful time of the year, which means everyone is super busy, but we wanted to still get an episode out to you, um, even though we weren't able to get something formally coordinated like we usually would. I'm pretty sure we'll be back to normal next week, but I am here for you, because I had a couple less things to do, so it made it okay. Um, It still feels incredibly weird doing this solo. Uh, I've been doing this now for three years, I think total, in terms of podcasting things, but I've always had a crutch to hold on to, aka another person, so I'm straight up just looking at my screens, hoping they form into a person who can talk back and give me banter, but it's all right. Um, We're doing it, because gotta leave the nest somehow, or some way, I don't know. Um, Today, I am talking about, there's no mentions today, because we're really busy, so we're working on a bunch of different stuff, Um, but today I will be talking about a little movie. I wanted to do something that's Christmas-related, just because it's the season. We're going to be doing more of that, I think, every December, including the next two weeks coming up. Um, Jorge wants to start the tradition of an incredibly upsetting movie at the beginning of December, aka Cannibal Holocaust, like we did this year. And then all a bunch of holiday horror-themed uh, movies for the rest of the month, which I would enjoy. Um, so I'm going to kind of keep that going here with a little movie from 2003-2004 known as Dead End. Um, it stars Ray Wise and Lynn Shay. Um, Lynn Shay, you'll recognize from a lot of the James Wan ghost movies. So she's in the Insidious series. And a couple of its spinoffs, like uh, Ouija, I think, is related to that somehow. I don't think, actually, maybe not be. Um, but those, like, types of movies, she was in... She actually briefly showed up in both Wes Craven's New Nightmare and in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, she's really good. And then Ray Wise, who I'm a big fan of. He's a big character actor, um, mostly known for being... Laura Palmer's dad Leland in Twin Peaks, as well as the movie Fire Walk With Me. Um, I know him also as the doctor in one of the, I think his name is, I forget his name, but he is in the Tim and Eric billion dollar movie. Um, His name is, here we go, any second now. No, that's not shown up as a movie. Um, but he is the Shrim guy. If you have watched that Tim and Eric movie, he is the guy who does the whole Shrim thing. Um, it also features... Um, this movie also features a guy named Steve Valentine, who I had no recollection of, but apparently is the voice of Alistair in the Dragon Age games, uh, as well as his much better credit, which I appreciate a lot more, um, he was the boogeyman in the Disney Channel original movie, the DCOM, Don't Look Under the Bed, um, which is one of my favorite Disney Channel original movies, which we will for sure be doing on this show at some point. Um, 
this is a this movie Dead End is a rather low budget early 2000s movie. It is directed and written by a French team of Fabrice Canepa and Jean-Baptiste Andrea. Um, I, I, that's not right. Jean-Baptiste Andrea. Um, I was thrown in an accent because I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> uh, the reported budget I had for this was around $900,000, which, to be honest, yeah, that makes sense. Um, when your two biggest stars are Lin Shay and Ray Wise, as much as I love them, this is going to be a low-budget movie. And when I get into the spoilers and the actual discussion of the movie, um, you'll hear a little bit more about that. But, um, yeah, I would give this... It's very weird running through everything and just, like, not passing it back and forth and just kind of doing everything. Might be a shorter episode, by the way, obviously, um, since I'm simply solo. Um, I, as for the rating on this... I think this gets a smiley face. Um, It is... Like, the two leads in it... I'd say more than half the cast. There's only, like, seven people in this total, I think. Um, In terms of, like, actual named actors. So, three to four of them do pretty good jobs with what they have. You know, varying levels of success. But, like, they're working at it. You know what I mean? They're doing something... So I, I would say everyone kind of gives it their all here. The the writing is kind of the big thing for me on this because it is not bad, but it is clunky. And I think that also makes sense considering the information of the two writers of this are not do not have English as their first language. They're primarily French writers and directors. So um, I think some stuff probably just got lost in the translations. Or, you know, moving from one language to another, you're going to... So things are going to be changed or lost in the shuffle. Um, so I I get that. It, it is a nice premise, though. It's not a nice premise. It's a scary premise because it's a horror movie. But it's basically about a family getting lost on Christmas Eve on the way to their relative's house. Basically, their grandmother for the kids and the mother and mother-in-law for the adults. In-laws, I guess. Relative's house, whatever. (laughs) You can tell how off the rails it already is when I don't have anybody to counteract me. Um, It's It kind of goes, in terms of the vibe, it is... The best descriptor I've seen was an extended Twilight Zone episode. And that kind of does it it's it's more it's got some more gore than anything in the twilight zone would have you know some direct sort of gore it's an early 2000s movie in a lot of ways as well like there's some of that edgelord butt rock in there a little bit not necessarily the edgelord butt rock butt rock but like kind of those heavy drum like you'd see this in like a slow motion club scene maybe type music um, where this doesn't need that. It's kind of all over the place. Uh, it's a strange movie, I'd say for sure. But I think I liked it. It, I think it has a lot of the elements of a really successful movie that get clipped both by the inexperience of the writing and directing because it is 
we'll I'll talk about it later. But um, there's a little bit of inexperience there, and I believe for at least one of the duo, this is their only movie that they did. Everything else is like either an interview with something or nothing at all. Um, so made by relatively inexperienced filmmakers, and you can kind of see that, but you can actually there's kernels of stuff in here that's really interesting. Um, and of course, when you have two veterans like Ray Wise or Lin Shay um, at the wheel of your thing, you're going to get something out of it of note. I also want to shout out, um, I believe her name is Alexandra Holden, who plays Marion Harrington, who's their daughter. Um, she does a really good job. She doesn't have... She's basically the lead, but she kind of doesn't... A lot of stuff just happens to her, if that makes sense. She doesn't really go through too much. The other two kind of move character-wise around a lot more, where she is kind of stuck in a couple of places, but she does good with what she has. Um, I, I want to also shout out Billy Asher, who is in this movie. Um, I don't think he's done anything of note. He has a couple other movie credits. He's a he's a working actor. But every time I saw like I saw the name when it came up, and I immediately thought of Billy Hatcher, so I just want to shout out Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg. Um, <laughs> because when you get that opportunity to make that reference, you, you make it, um, in terms of warnings, uh, there's a couple of warnings in here. Again, it is an early two thousands movie. So, uh, there are homophobic jokes and there is a use of the R word. Um, and then in terms of actual, like sort of triggers for things, uh, in terms of visuals, there are. Uh, uh, dead children, dead babies, dead children, uh, that is something that does show up in this film. So keep that in mind before you head in. Um, it's fast, but it's still there. I don't want you to be... I always have trouble talking about like the length and breadth of what happens in there, mostly because sometimes it's a story standpoint, sometimes it's things like that. But you don't want to like undersell it or oversell. You don't want to go, oh, it's this, and then people go, oh, I'm never looking at anything when it's a flash in the pan, or the reverse, where you go, ah, it's not that bad, and people go, oh my god, that was horrible. Um, so, homophobic jokes, R word, and dead children. Those are the things that show up in here in terms of warnings. But, it's weird because nobody else can say it. So, I'm, in my pursuit of the endless horror movie things, am going to uh, pull out my little box, do a sensual thumb circle to open the spoiler configuration. Left a purposeful amount of dead air in there because uh, since Jorge is gone, there are no rules right now and I can just leave a bunch of dead air in there on purpose and make everybody upset so when they listen to it, hopefully they lose their minds at all that dead air, which I'm fine with because I'm a grown-up. Uh, <laughs> So basically, the plot of this movie is the Harrington family, which is the dad, which is Ray Wise, known as Frank. Lynn Shea is Laura Harrington, the mom. Alexandra Holden is Marion. Mick Kane, who is a soap actor primarily, is Richard, her brother. And Billy Hatcher, a.k.a. Billy Asher, is Brad, who is her, who is Marion's fiancé. Um, the five of them are driving in the car on their way to uh, Laura's mother's house. So the maternal grandmother for Marion and Richard. Um, they're driving there. Frank Ray Wise is driving, and he 
it, again, this movie kind of starts very suddenly. Like, there's the opening credits, or there's a bit of the opening credits, and they kind of jump right into the car to do a bit of banter, and then they cut to the title card. And it's nice, like, I actually appreciated that. It was going really well. This movie is 85 minutes, and it runs into that problem that a lot of these short movies have where it feels like it was trying to get here. Like, it was really trying to run, get across the finish line. So the movie feels longer than it is. Um, But we get, after the title card, we get a swerve, like a road swerve. Um, Frank is falling asleep at the wheel, and he's able to wake up at the last second because Marion grabs him and is like, wake, wake, wake up, and swerves off the road. Um, I think we, we kind of go from there, and this is sort of like we get a lot of the dysfunction of this family, which is one of my big gripes with the movie, to be honest. Um, I think this is a great example of setup and payoff and where it doesn't like the problems that happen when you don't do that um a lot of the early stuff before the like horror starts to happen is kind of doing that job that's when you'd want to set up a lot of the things that will pay off later in the movie so like you get your significance from them um for example they they start to do this but it's a they do it the timing is weird where Brad is sitting there talking to this other character, um, and he's mentioning that he's going to propose to Marion at the grandmother's house with all the other relatives there, basically, like the Christmas Eve sort of thing. Um, and Marion is outside walking back towards the car, thinking of ways to break up with Brad. And I'm like, this is great. I have no problems with this. And then immediately afterwards, they kind of forcibly resolve the situation, as what I'll say there. But basically, Brad is killed almost immediately after this scene. I think during this scene, actually, is when it happens. Um, so it's a very strange, like, okay, that's that's nice. That's over now. There's no, like, the stress of the situation doesn't boil over so that these conflicts kind of come to a head. Um, another thing between Lynn Shea and Ray Wise, uh, Frank and Laura, the the two, uh, the mom and dad, is this whole thing about their son not being Frank's kid and that she had an affair and that he also had an affair. Um, th- these things are kind of hinted at at first, but not really. Like, they're not really actually hinted at. They're they're just sort of vaguely talked about. And then, in the middle of, like, part of this bloodshed is when she opens up about her thing with their son. Like, their son's already dead when she reveals all of this. It's a very strange order of oper- Order of operations is kind of the best way to put this. Because in a normal... In a normal horror movie or even a normal drama... You do, it's, Chekhov's gun is the the theatrical device for this. But, like, the idea of bringing up these things beforehand so that you can pay them off later uh, 
like so you can have them in the ether you can have them around in the story and people are vaguely thinking about it but we move on and then we come back and go oh that's so significant because of all the stuff we said it before there's not a lot of that here um they try to give you the vibe of the dysfunctional family and i think that definitely works like you get another a, a good thing that does happen in this movie is they do mood establishing very well so like we're locked in this car for most of the movie. And it's also why you can tell the budget was like $45 and a ham sandwich. Um, th- there's no like, I want to say 65% of this film is literally the inside of the car with big fogged up windows so you can't tell it's on a movie set. Or wherever they put it. I don't even know actually. They, and then another 30% of it is the same little stretch of road, which ends up working out because they're not silly. They're not dumb. They made a script around what they could film, and it actually works out great. Like, it, it the storyline of it works with having such similar locations and lack of availability in terms of switching up where you can shoot. Um, but there's... Ray Wise and Lynn Shay are good at this kind of... It's not really witty back and forth, but it is, like, terse husband and wife who are on the fritz sort of language with each other. Um, they they do that pretty well without, like... They do a very good passive-aggressive types of things, Um where, like, conflict will start to boil over, or, like, one of them might get a little hmm, and then the other one will, like, back off and acquiesce and change the subject or move around to something else. Uh, I kind of wish we had more of this. We only get, like, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes of the entire family kind of talking with each other and interacting fully before any, like, scary stuff, quote-unquote scary stuff happens. It's 2004, folks. That's the only clarifier there's some genuinely freaky stuff in here but you know some of the things they want you to be scared of you're not scared of because it's 2004 and this was made for nine hundred thousand dollars like there's a certain point where it doesn't work out but that's it's no problem um the the son richard or dick as he occasionally refers to himself uh is an absolute freak he's an absolute menace and I kind of, he's, he's very ridiculous uh, in a 2004 way, if that makes sense. You can probably see him. He does have a backwards hat because, of course he does. He's from 2003. And he's got a nice, like, vest and, like, a cool long sleeve shirt and stuff. And, like, he's like a douchey, stoner, jerk-off American. He's like American Pie reject type guy. You know what I mean? Like, he's like a stiffler... He's a bad Stifler clone, kind of. Um, he's got that vibe to him, but he has a little bit more layers uh, around as well because this isn't like a silly comedy thing. It is like a horror movie that's trying to do a little bit more than the usual slashery, gross, blah, right? Um, but he is very good at like being a douchebag, even though he says the bad things about... <laughs> he says the homophobic stuff and you know the, the problematic stuff because it's 2003 and 2004 they couldn't make jokes that weren't problematic I don't know how we got through that era to be honest without everybody just falling apart but um he does a good job and uh Alex Holden who plays Marion 
does a great job. She does the thing of, can we all calm down and chill out? Which, again, this is the, the other part of it. The family dynamics in the car are still, the essence of them are there. It's, you can feel like, oh, I've been on this car ride where I'm like, please stop. I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to deal with y'all yelling and we're stuck. There's no way out of this. So I have to defuse the situation. Like you get all that uncomfortable um, back and forth with your family that you've done on a long road trip where people start to get on each other's nerves and that sort of thing. Um, the real shame is that we don't get more of that. Um, we we end up getting to this... There's some funky editing, <laughs> which in some places works, and in other places I'm like, this is the corniest, cheesiest thing I've ever seen. Um, but this other character is introduced, the lady in white, who is a woman holding this baby uh, who is seen on the side of the road and is brought into the car for help, because she's like, oh no. Um, she's played, I believe she's played by Amber Smith. Amber Smith, who is a model, uh, slash occasional actress. Um, she's solid in the role. There's not much to say about it. It's a very, you know, stoic, <laughs> you don't really do much in this role. Um, because it's like this spooky, eerie spirit type thing. Like she is a, it is understood that she is like a ghost or something, and is kind of haunting them in regards to... It's the old hitchhiker, you know, picking up the ghost on the side of the road thing and it getting you killed. Um, we kind of go through just about everybody in the family to different degrees and different bad things happen to them. Um, one of the highlights for me is the hearse. The, the, I guess it's the classic black car. It's not really a hearse. But it like it kind of has that old. It's like an old style, maybe 1930s or earlier, you know, 1930s ish, maybe 1940s car with like the rounded back and top sort of thing. It looks very. I like it a lot. I think it's you know very cool. But it is very old. You know, it's that very old style. And it like basically the only two things that happen in this movie are <laughs> three things that happen in this movie are uh, the family bickering slash being sad. Uh, someone getting killed by either the lady in white directly or something else, and this car showing up and taking them away. Um, the thing, I do enjoy the car because it is this nice, eerie, like, shot selection. It's not all like, whoa, it's very just calmly see it going up the road, and you're like, this is a really anachronistic car. I don't it, it makes you go like, ugh, because it's not what you're supposed to be seeing on the road, especially with all the other characters. And then you'll just see one of them, you know, the person in question, whether it's the boyfriend or whatever, like whoever's dying in the back seat or against the wall and just like, or against the window. And the lighting in it is so sparse purpose, you know, and so stark when you do get it, like just a little, one little ray of light and you're just like, bleh. And they have all these shadows over and they press their face against the glass. And you're like, oh my god. Like, there's some nice imagery in here um, that you can do with such a small budget and situation that I appreciate. They, they're they not going for something overly crazy here. But they're it's just a spooky enough thing uh, that they 
frankly and starkly show you without like doing big zooms or anything crazy like that. Um, this time of filmmaking and even this movie is guilty of it in some times is like a lot of editors were really chummy with the edits here, you know, like with doing zooms and effects and strobes and all that sort of stuff uh, for all of its enjoyment that I get out of it. The first saw movie and all the saw movies after it pretty much uh, massively guilty of this. They love to do big, crazy edit and zoom around and blah, 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 like you, the, the fast motion, like moving their head crazy thing. Um, it's that time of, that was that time in filmmaking. A lot of people were doing that. Um, and this movie kind of doesn't, I don't want to say to its detriment because I think it is better for not having that and leaning towards the way it does. But I would like some, the movie again, cause of the, like the movie feels longer than it is by quite a bit. Um, mostly because they do a lot of sitting still or staying on the same take for so long. Like there's a lot of long form things that aren't like, found footage type shots. It's not like this. we're going for this hyper-realism thing. It's just that they don't... It feels like they don't have the coverage for it. And what I mean for that is they don't have any other shots to go to. They didn't film this scene multiple times so they can cut from the wide shot to the medium to the close-up to the extreme close-up or over to this, another fun angle or whatever. Like... Again, with the whole budget thing, it feels very low budget because it's not taking the time to move from shot to shot. Mostly from my assumption that they don't have a shot to move to, if that makes sense. Like, you can do long... Everyone... Long takes are famous now. One shots, oneers, whatever you want to call them, are famous. You move... You stay on it. You move through. Goodfellas is a big example um, 1917 is a whole movie set up to be like a one take. Um, those sort of things can be very effective. I'm sure there's some good horror examples, but I'm completely blanking. So I apologize, folks. Let me know if there are ones that you remember, but like this has a lot of just long takes because they're on the master, you know, they're on the, the one shot that they have with everybody in it and they kind of move around a little bit, but it's not, meant it doesn't feel like it's meant to be on purpose it feels like it's out of necessity because that's all they have um which i get but the movie's the movie you gotta work with what you got sort of thing um there's a couple of good effects in here um the richard who refers to himself as uncle dick at one point because his sister says that she's pregnant in a very uh <laughs> There's some weird humor in this movie, but I do think it works, and I kind of wish it had even more of it. Um, but it, it, it kind of moves on from it faster than it should, I think. It only has a couple of moments, but they work really well. One is after Marion's boyfriend has been killed. They're all sitting in the car, and she is utterly catatonic. Like, she is looking forward, not moving at all, you know, barely blinking, and they're everyone's freaking out about it like oh my god but they the car gets stopped 
and the dad is like cursing out whatever and she just goes like it's completely silent and she just goes i'm pregnant and you can see the reactions of the uh, ray wise and lynch and they're like holy shit and then her brother just goes i smoke pot and it's like it was so jarring and funny and honest as a sibling thing like him either both of these work as potential reasons of him wanting to also be involved and be like well i i'm also confessing or him wanting to help her out and be like i'm gonna say something embarrassing slash revealing as well so that it's not as crazy uh the situation isn't as awkward and upsetting but um that moment really works and there's another moment uh Lynn Shay is such a trooper in this movie. She has to go through quite a bit of stuff. She has to deal, like, she has to regress to, like, a childlike thing. She kind of goes through, like, multiple things in the movie in terms of her personality. And she runs with all of them. She doesn't give a fuck about anything. This is all rosy stuff. And it's great. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, but there's a moment, if you have issues with vomit, they do also have that. Um... So keep that in mind as well. But there is just a... <laughs> there, it's, it's a good point to talk about blocking because there is smart blocking in this scene. They have um, the mom and the daughter, uh, the father and the daughter in the foreground and the and Lin Shay, the mom, is in the back, is sort of closer in the middle ground, maybe closer to the background. And she's just doing her thing. She's, she's she's eating this entire pie, and she's so like about it. And it's there's another good edit here is that they are in the car going, "Don't eat those too fast. You're going to be sick." And she goes, "I'm not going to be sick." Hard cut to her throwing up in the same situation I just talked about. And then she stands back up, and the dad goes, "Are you going to be okay?" And she goes, "Mm-hmm," and throws right back. And it's like. They have good, honest-to-God moments of comedy, of true, dark comedy in this. Like, it's fun, because the situation is obviously fucked up. People are dying, you're on this road that seemingly never ends. Um, and putting in those moments of levity in their sick ways is good. I think they're. I think it's effective. Um, just because you need to... One thing that a lot of movies, a lot of horror movies don't do is give you a break from the tension so that they can ramp it up again like really good harrowing horror movies essentially ramp up the tension the whole time and you're just it's you're like oh my god this is so uncomfortable because it can't get out of it, but like keeps escalating never gives you a chance to never takes you off the ride sort of thing whereas some like i guess mainstream or maybe blockbuster those style of horror movies will either attempt comedy, which usually doesn't work, um, or will kind of forget to give you a dropping off point, so they'll just sort of stop doing the tension. And instead of having that be a reset point for you, you're kind of just like, I'm out of it. I don't feel the tension anymore, and I didn't... like That wasn't like a real respite or break. You just kind of turned it off for a moment, and then you try to turn it back on where it was before. Um these comedic moments in this movie do actually kind of give you a relief from the tension, especially because 
the thing, like, you know, this is a repetitive on purpose. It is a purposely repetitive story. The idea of um, they're on this side road and they can't get off of it. No matter how hard they try, they keep going and stuff doesn't work. They see the same signs. They see all these things. And it's like, you know, the loop. It's like a loop, basically, right? And that will get, especially for 85 minutes or 90 minutes, that will get tiresome really quickly if you're just seeing the same thing. You'll get really frustrated and you'll be like, this isn't doing anything for me. So you have to pepper those things in. And they do. And the comedic ones, I think, work really well. All the dramatic ones don't really. Because again, what I was saying before, it doesn't set up a lot of these. So it's not like the boiling point of conversations. It's just a lot of like, revelations about characters that essentially come out of nowhere and I spent most of the time going what why the huh okay like and we'd be moving on by the time I had a chance to process them so it's very strange um the the my biggest critique is that I want more in this there's a lot of like just shots of people driving and I I want this to be a more like, sharp back and forth with all the people in the car. Like, I start to get to know these people, and I feel really good about them as characters, and then we're already into the blood that we don't really have time to figure out the rest of it. Like, we're told a lot of things. We don't really learn a lot of things, if that makes sense. Um, we don't get stuff about character. We're just sort of told events that people have. Which, it still works, but this is it, it, not really. Um, Jorge mentioned this with Separation as, like, breaking down a movie that has all the things that don't work in it. And I think this is a better example because its premise is engaging, but it doesn't do enough with it to keep you all the way in. That's why I give it a three, you know, it's why it's a smiley face. It's not bad. It's not like an unfunction. It's a functioning film. It's good at what it, at certain things it does, but it doesn't like, you can kind of see the missing points. You can see the joints. Uh, you can see like the seams where it would be and you can kind of go, ah, that's, that isn't connected to that. So that didn't really make that a whole cohesive thing. It just feels really separate. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's very strange, but I do enjoy it a lot. Um, the, (laughs) they basically go through everybody except for Marion. Um, each person ends up dying in a level of gruesome way. There's a lot of, again, effects budget is what it is. They show a lot of things briefly or, you know, kind of cutaways or have parts of stuff. So like, a dead body will have an arm only that you see on camera because that's all they could afford to do. Um, There is one nice... uh, They know they don't have the budget for stuff, so they try to do things in different ways, and I think for the most part, it's okay. Like, it works out all right. There is one part where we never see Brad's body. He's the first victim. Uh, We never see his body, but Lin Shay 
when she's regressing, regressing to this like childlike state, she's like, I want to draw a picture. And she gives Marion a picture of Brad, who is this stick figure who is all mangled, like his legs on one side of the page and his arm and his head are on the other side. And you're just like, oh my God, like it's not a scary picture, but the implications behind it are upsetting. And you're like, oh, that was good. Um, there's one nice effect in here, which is a, uh, it's a lip rip. Uh, Richard, the brother, gets his lip pretty much, his like lip, his upper, uh, his lower lip and like a little bit of the skin under that like pulled all the way off. Um, and it's, it's a nice effect. Like it is a nice effect. It's not bad. Uh, it looks pretty simple. Like it looks pretty well put together. Um, there's one scene, again, is part of the budget problems of this, is one scene, you can basically feel the director or whoever he forced up into a tree, just like, squirting a ketchup bottle of red corn syrup on one of the characters, and you're like, she's screaming like it's very upsetting, and I'm like, I wouldn't be scared of this. I would be annoyed because some shithead PA is up there <laughs> squirting a bottle of red corn syrup onto my nice sweater and my head, and I just did my hair, so I don't appreciate this. Um, but it's that's kind of stuff. some of the stuff that knocks you out of it. It's not like a bad idea. It just looks like it's executed poorly, which is the big problem of it. Um... It's it, This is a weird movie that has a lot of the spirit of stuff. I kind of wish they did more horror, like, gave this another chance, or, you know, someone with a little bit more budget, or... I don't want to say vision, because that's not true, but, like, someone who is more active on camera, like, with the camera, rather, uh, got a hold of this, because I think you could get some really interesting and upsetting things about it. Um, yeah, as for, I guess, the rest of the plot is the only thing that's the kind of big revelation in the plot proper is Ray Wise gives this talk to his daughter about the, like, basically the ghost story of picking up a hitchhiker and it being the people who, the person who died in a car accident before and almost got them off the cliff sort of thing. Um, the lady in the white, the lady in white keeps running around and basically gets everybody except Marion she gets to a nice scene, a, honestly a good-looking scene, because she's just walking on the road, and it slowly pulls down to see all the body bags of her family. Um, and she gets the the car comes up, and she's like, take me, take me, I'm fucking done, I want to get out of this. And the lady in white comes in and gets in the car and drives off, and this is where we get the revelation of Marion waking up in the hospital, and at first, or she wakes up to the scene of the crash again, the near crash that they had, where the almost get run off the road from the beginning. And then she wakes up again to her in the hospital with a big bandage on her head. And she, uh, it is revealed that they, her family did die in that car accident. Uh, they, the person driving was a young woman with a baby. And it's, uh, like, when this first happened, I was just like, oh, this movie lost its, this movie went back. I was kind of oscillating between, um, nauseous face and smiley face for a lot of this because it's just, 
it's a lower made movie and it's a less creative lower made movie which we've already dealt with a couple movies on here that have low budgets that hide it really well and they do a job of actively trying to hide their weaknesses whereas this kind of doesn't it kind of leaves some stuff out and you go oh this is a massive flaw but when this came up i was like oh oh no this is terrible um and we get this <laughs> we get the doctor talking with this guy who is allegedly the ones who found them who is the guy Steve Valentine but he's got like this he's got this widow's peak hair that's long down to like his sh- he's got like shoulder length widow's peak hair that's jet black he's wearing all black and he's pale as a ghost and he's talking with this like normal looking woman <laughs> It's a very startling shot to like that they hold on when they're doing their talking because it's just like, why are you in? You're not supposed to be in this movie. You look very strange in this movie. Um, But they basically go over the fact that the dad did get in the accident. Everybody died except Marion and that the woman, the lady in white was basically the other driver. And that's why she went into the car. But Marion didn't because she was supposed to live. And it was like a. You know, like a weird fever dream, hallucination, going through the light thing that she was uh, dealing with. That she was dealing with. But um, they get to the end. And so basically at the end of it, uh, the doctor is trying to get in her car, but she can't turn it over. She's like, oh shit, my car doesn't work. And the man in black, the guy I was talking about, pulls up in the car, the black car, the cool black car from the rest of the movie and is like can i give you a ride home blah 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 and then it ends there and you're like oh my god what the fuck does that mean because <laughs> everything's been answered that's really weird and then there's a little this is actually it's fun there's an after credits scene although it's not really after the credits like it's a mid credit scene like the marvel ones are now but um we get to that which is the workers they're moving the wreckage out and they're clearing everything away and the guy goes hey what's this and he pulls it up and it's this note that was written by uh, the dad during, like, the middle of the movie. Like, the part where all of the horror stuff is definitely already happening. Implying that it was real. Which, I'm like, okay, so is that the was the man in black the guy taking all these people away? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Um, which was, like, cute. It was a cute little ending. But I it didn't... I don't know. It was weird because it didn't really do anything for me. Like, I was already done. And the person we wanted to got out. So, like, maybe this doctor is in danger because she got in his car. But I'm not really sure. Um, A bit of a flat, weird ending that isn't, like... It's not, like, makes you think. You know what I mean? It's just like, okay. Huh? Did you, You really wanted to keep being scary here. Um... So it's whatever, it's fine. Uh, overall, I would, I, I do, I do settle on a smiley face for this movie because I think there's enough interesting stuff performance-wise and um, cinematography-wise. Like, there's some good-looking stuff in here for a 2004 no-budget movie, right? Like, we're we're talking in perspective here, but I think it does its job and it gives you a genuinely you know, a nice, simple, creepy premise without going overboard on stuff. 
so I appreciate that. This is a this movie is a great example of how Rotten Tomatoes works because this has a seventy five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's only based on eight reviews because this movie is small. You know, I don't know how many I don't know how many people saw this, but apparently a bunch did because there is a claim that this made seventy seven million dollars in DVD sales, and I am like bullshit. I have seen, I in my cursory search for this, you know, looking through, every, it was always citation needed or just no citation on it. So I'm like, I don't know if the dudes who made this put this out there or someone was a big fan and just said, yeah, I made a bunch of dollars. Um, or if somebody accidentally bought $77 million worth of the DVDs and went, I have to recoup this somehow. So I'll say that it was good. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> it's an example of, the aggregate system for Rotten Tomatoes because this has a 75%. And, like, I wouldn't give this movie a 75 out of 100. I would give it a, you know, 3 out of 5, which is essentially, like, a smiley face. And this is the whole thing about Rotten Tomatoes is that means 3 out of 4 people would give it 5.1 or above. So, uh, a good thing, like, this is, like, a good metric to go, okay, this movie's going to be okay. Maybe. Hopefully. Um, but yeah, I, I would give this, I would keep this at a smiley face. Uh, I love Ray Wise and Lin Shay. I think they're so much fun in general. Uh, Ray Wise is a lot more, I want to say serious, like, but he curses a lot more in this. And it's also weird uh, to hear him say Laura so much because he was Laura Palmer's father on Twin Peaks, you know, 10 years before this movie came out, 13 years before this movie came out. So it was like a weird, I don't know, callback or reference or something, but to make him say Laura over and over again was very weird for me. It was good, but it was very weird. Um, and Lynn Shay is very good in this movie. She tries really hard. Uh, and she's a good actress, so it ends up coming across well. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's it. Um, again, nice and quick. Uh, not that quick. Uh, <laughs> just looked at the clock, folks, and it was more than I expected. Um, but yes, I want to give a big shout out to John from Eyes of Astoria for our theme song, Deadwalk. Um, you can check him out on multiple episodes of this podcast. Uh, you can find that in the, I believe it's the podcast people section on the website, thebloodystream.com. Uh, I want to shout out Jorge for making that site because it's super good and I use it all the time. A big shout out to our sister podcast, Downtime with John and Emily, the how-to podcast by siblings who don't know anything. Uh, You can find them on getdowny.com, or you can find them on social medias at DowneySiblings, D-O-W-N-E-Y, siblings as in brother and sister. You can find us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at BloodyStreamPod. Big shouts out to Melanie, who is on multiple episodes as well. Find them in the podcast people section of the website. Um, Shouts out to Melanie for running our Instagram currently. Um, Takes a load off of everything. As you can tell, we get very busy at a certain time of the year. Um, Just busy in general. And thank you for listening. And we will talk to you. Same bloody time. Same bloody channel.